This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Hello, all traders out there. Welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step, uh, formerly Top Step Trader slash Top Step FX. Still getting weird to say. I think I uh, errantly was corrected hundreds of times in the past for calling it just Top Step. And those things get engraved in your head. Right. I got so I would say Top Step all the time. And now that we're Top Step, I find myself saying Top Step Trader a lot. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, there's an allure to just doing bad things, to being a troublemaker. You know, we right? see, <laughs> see it all over. A couple of rebels over here. Yeah. Everyone loves an outlaw. So, uh, I'm going to get used to, I'll get used to saying this, but uh, beyond the name, we had a great guest who uh, is coming up that, Dan, you did the interview and it's actually a family friend of yours, right? Yeah, this was really exciting. Um, I grew up, uh, he was good friends with my dad. He grew up three or four houses down from my parents' lake house. Um, I think as a matter of fact, my parents have like a two week vacation planned with them in January down to Florida. Um just a really fun conversation. Never really have talked trading with him too much, uh, but I know he's extremely successful at what he does. Spent a long time down in the pits. Um, he's got a great little joke for us about trading, uh, which I'm excited for everyone to hear. And then uh, it was weird. It's like I've known this guy since I was a little kid. So it was always, you know, Mr. Baird, Mr. Baird. And um, now it's trying to say Greg was really throwing me off a little bit. Oh, yeah. And every every family friend I have is the same way where, you know, I'm in my uh, I call them early, but maybe closer to mid 30s right now. And I still can't just go to people that you knew growing up and be like, oh, this person's Peter now. It's like, right. No, no matter how many times they tell you, like, call me by my first name. You don't have to call me Mr. or Mrs. Now. Can't help it. That's how I that's how I know you. Well, that's awesome. I'm really looking forward to hearing it. Uh, a lot of news out this week as well as we're closing out the year here. Uh, first, a piece of very local news. They're still constructing this building uh, across from the window <laughs> where I record it. And I had to mute myself right there while you were talking, Dan, because it sounded like they were taking a circular saw and uh, trying to enter my house, Ocean's Eleven style. So, Oh, man. Gotta love city living. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Out in the country. Um, but uh, the big news, of course, is we started the Pfizer vaccine started rolling out this week. Uh, Moderna, I think think maybe next week and that's more the merrier as far as i'm concerned right you know if you want to take that vaccine there's going to be some options out there and it's nice to see that you know maybe maybe there's a light at the end of this tunnel i still think it's rather far off but you know we we have something in sight now we have good things to look forward to yeah and as long as we're being optimistic too it looks like we might get some sort of uh, stimulus bill i think the 900 billion dollar one passed today which guess what? I think if that happens and you live in the United States and you're a taxpayer, you're getting another check, it looks like. Woo! What are you going to spend your stimulus on, Dan? A new cell phone. I have uh, been kicking the can down the road. I think I've had this phone for four years. And like, if I open it up now, it like does things on its own. It's, things start moving. It starts clicking buttons. Well, the technology improves so quickly that I'm always the same way where I just ride it until it dies. And then right. I do it with computers. I do it with cell phones. Same. Yeah. What are you going to spend your 1200 on? S&P puts. 
<laughs> I'm just, yeah, I'm just joking. Well, probably... if you guys caught the coach's playbook this week. You saw Jack is the only one thinking S and P's will be lower at the end of the year uh, than they are now. That's a good plug. I encourage everyone out there to check out the coach's playbook this week. We did our predictions for uh, December 31st, 2021, in gold, oil, Bitcoin, and the S and P 500. Always a storied. Uh, next year, we need an animal like maybe a turtle or something to uh, crawl to certain quadrants to make their predictions and see if we can beat the turtle. But uh, we don't have anything that up in the air yet <laughs> this year. So I think, don't, don't they have like octopi or whatever that uh, guest sporting events and stuff like that? Yeah, so um, the uh, Detroit Red Wings are famous that you throw an octopus down on the ice um, during the games. Yeah. That's a thing. Yeah, I... I Sitting with a squid stuffed up your coat for that opportunity seems a little bit like a weird way to spend a day, but hey, whatever works. <laughs> to each their own. If I can go back to watching you know, live hockey, I'll gladly stuff a squid in my coat if I need to because uh, right. it'll be good. So uh, anyway, with that out of the way, we're kind of hovering around the highs. This year has been just tumultuous, obviously, and uh, it'll be good to get it done. That's my mantra for now. Without a doubt. And just one caveat, even though we put predictions out there, even though I was uh, the closest on the majority of them, um, you know, you can't really plan where it's going to end next year. Um, there's a lot that can happen. 2020 showed us that there's a lot that can happen getting to the end of the year. Um, yeah. So just because we, we have an idea of where it's going to go doesn't mean we know how it's going to get there. That's a good place to put it. So everyone, uh, Close out your year right right now with uh, listen to a little interview between old pals Dan <laughs> and Greg Baird. We'll catch you afterwards. All right, everybody. I'm Dan Hodgman, um, and I am sitting down with not just a an incredible trader, but also an old, old, old family friend. I feel like he's known me since I was a little, little kid, uh, Mr. Greg Baird. And I will probably call him Mr. Baird throughout this because that's what it's always been. So I can't thank you enough for sitting down with me. I'm excited to have you uh, sit down with us today. Well, thanks, Danny. It's a pleasure to be here. And and you can call me Greg. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard when I, we were just saying a minute ago, you call me Danny because it's been 30 years of the same thing. So yep. um, it's fun. So you've got a pretty cool background. You've been at this forever. Uh, I've heard a little bit throughout my whole life. Um, I don't like to look at that quite that way, but 38 years, yes. (laughs) 38 years. (laughs) And where'd you start? I started, uh, came out of college in 82 and was in the trust transfer division of the Northern Trust Bank, which basically was in the basement of the Northern Trust. And I was, uh, people would come in with their stocks and bonds and somebody had to put the Northern Trust Bank on it and put it in the vault. And I was that guy. That was the only job I could get out of college. And I was the one making fun of all my economic friends who would <laughs> read the Wall Street Journal. Anyways, uh, a buddy said, you know, I started getting interest in stocks and bonds, just seeing them, handling them every day. My buddy said, have you ever been to the Board of Trade? And I said, I am. And he goes, you want to go one day at lunch? And I said, sure. He goes, his uncle was there. So we went over there and I walked on the floor. And before I got to the pit, I knew I wanted to be, I had to get there. It was just a matter of how. And finally, uh, as I say, it's at the Northern Trust for five months because it took me three to get out and went and became a runner over at the options exchange. And that's how you learned the business back in the day, I guess we call it. 
Absolutely. It's, it's definitely a different world. I, I haven't been on the floor in probably a year now, but I would definitely say a year ago was a little different than it was back in 1982. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't been there in 17 years, 18 years, so I don't know what it's I didn't know there was a floor. Well, I do know they turned one section of it into a driving range, the old grains pit. Nice. Um, that was a driving range at one point, um, but it's quite a ghost town now, without a doubt. So you went straight into options. What were you trading? Stock options, bond options, a little bit of everything, running from pit to pit? Uh, I definitely was trading up. I started out in the old Midwest Exchange. They called the Stock Options Exchange. And it was up in the actually visitor gallery on the Board of Trade when they started really? the options. And they had special seats that were, well, Goldberg Brothers let me gave me six months on a $10,000 seat because I didn't have any money. And to go see see what I could do, and I had ten thousand dollars, and I said it's a little money, and started trading, and just kind of grew it from there. But yes, uh, I had seen in the paper, I'd figured out that the options there was the reversals, uh, kind of figured that out on my own, and we did a thing back then. I don't even know if anybody trades this way anymore. It was back spreads we called it, and we'd buy Hughes Tool was at ten dollars, and we'd buy two call options for three quarters of a buck and sell a share of stock and then trade it up and down. You were getting long as it went up and short as it went down and try to fight out right out the premium decay. So when you got started, I mean, you were just on your own. Were you with a full firm or was it, Hey, Greg, just, just figure it out and go. Uh, I had $10,000 left over from my college account and it was burning a hole in my pocket and it was <laughs> go time. It's, it's interesting because I've heard it. I think nowadays things are so different. You go through years of working with mentors and programs through the prop firm. And, you know, I've heard it from my dad when he got down there and he just watched and said, okay, being on the phone sucks. I want to be standing in the pit making the real money with those guys. And you just kind of had to dive right in head first. Things have changed a little bit, I feel. <laughs> I would say quite a bit, <laughs> quite a bit. One of the things I remember the most from back then, and it's still true today, is every year people would complain that last year was easier, that, that it was tougher. And the key is that people are making so much money that the game evolved. And every year there's new strategies. And what you did last year might not work this year or next year. And you got to stay with the times and figure out what's going on. And it's a whole different game today than it was, I was gonna say, back then. How how long did it take for you to know, recognize just that constant ever-changing in this industry? Is it something you picked up right away or after a few years it was, oh, wow, I got to make some adjustments? Uh, after 30 years, I realized that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> At the time, it was all, do I suck? What's wrong? I'm losing money. Things that I used to do aren't working. I can't, I'm, am I not pricing right? And at one point, I got frustrated with the uh, options, and so I moved over to the futures and went and traded the euro dollars for 10 years uh, to get rid of time decay. Is by trading time spreads, I felt, all right, I could wait it out. Unlike with the options, we had the, t the clock was constantly ticking against you. So that's an interesting point to bring up because with the, the futures, as long as you just roll into contract months, you can sit in something for – well, you can sit in it for literally forever as long as you can take some sort of risk – did you notice like a big change with your trading when you go from kind of that forced, okay, we have deadlines, we've got to be out of this to getting into the futures and, 
oh, well, my position's still on. I can just roll this into the next contract month and I can hold on to it a little longer. Or did that options time help you? Well, uh, it was a little different because I was in the Euro dollar pit, which was every three months. And I, I was what they call the spreader back then. So if I bought one contract, I sold another. But to your point, I could always, the spread was always there until it became front month and then you could roll, roll it back. And so, yes, you had no time decay. That uh, a buddy who's old theory was, you know, we, we know where the market is today and nobody knows where it'll be in six months. And so if rates were going way up or down, the odds were at some point in the next six months, they'd have some type of pullback and you might have an opportunity to scramble out of something. Okay. All right. So you've been off the floor then for 18 years. Yes. Obviously you were kind of, it sounds like in the, the forefront of leaving the floor. Did you jump right into screens or did you try and take some time away? Uh, and I always was the one on the pit who said I was going to turn the lights out. But My dad uh, said the same thing too. <laughs> he, he almost did. Almost did. Yes. He always said, if you're the last guy on the floor, you can stand there till the lights go out. You're going to be the richest guy on the floor. <laughs> That's a good one. And I guess that would be true. Uh, somebody. But no, uh, I'm not, I can't really remember why I ended up transitioning away from the floor, but sometime around 02 and 03, I it just, uh, you could get as much done on the computer and I like not having to commute to the city and started online. And then in that time period, five through seven, the interest rate market was screaming. Something was wrong. Things were out of line. I couldn't make any money and I actually quit and played poker for a while. <laughs> Which, <laughs> Which is something I want to ask you about. <laughs> and then went back and started trading stocks in 08. And, you know, and I've gone back and forth depending on the market giveth and the market taketh away. And there's times when you're in sync with the market and other times you, you got to step back and figure out where your little niche is. Right. It's it's amazing how those cliches, no matter how, where you hear them or how many times they're said, the market give it, the market take it, you know, manage your risk, the constant cliches, they really do they last the test of time. I mean, it's constantly the case with this. Um, all right, so you brought up poker. Yeah. Which I think about two years ago, we had a professional poker player on here. And in the show notes, we'll have to put the name of it because who it was. I just don't remember. Um, but we talked about the correlation of trading to poker. Mm-hmm. What got you into it? Did you find that it helped one helped the other or... Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily helped. I, I would say, though, it's the same side of the brain. That okay. To me, I was always uh, a kiss guy, uh, keep it simple, stupid. And poker helped me just focus. It's pretty simple numbers. I mean, there's only 52 cards. You see, <laughs> you have two in your hand. Texas Hold'em, you saw three on the flop. That left 47. It, it, it was a total numbers game uh, between that and then betting and reading people and how they bet. It, it's all pit stuff. It's all stuff I had done for 20 years in the pit. Right. You sat there and you got to watch these guys' faces. And, you know, you see Goldman coming in with something big. You can see it on the broker's face. Oh, okay, we got something coming here. Same thing with poker. Yes. Yeah, it was the same thing of just uh, reading the market. 
And uh, I mean, the only difference is I consider trading as the A-League and uh, poker is triple I, As I try to explain to my wife at the time, said, honey, you don't have to worry. If I play poker instead of trading, we don't have to, we won't, we'll never go broke. <laughs> and she was raising the kids and looked at me like, <laughs> she didn't quite get that. Right. But it made perfect sense to me. Right. Because you had control, at least some sort of control. Yeah, yeah, it was the stakes were small enough compared to what trading stakes are that it, it never mattered. I never was good enough to play for big enough, enough want to play for big enough stakes that would okay. matter. Which is an interesting point, the stakes, because trading, especially in a futures industry and in options, especially trading, there's risk is unlimited sometimes. Yes. Um, how did you go about that? Well, I was always an option buyer, not an option seller when I traded options. I was a spreader in the interest rate market, and it was short-term interest rates. There seemed to be a limit on how far things could go, although that was tested a few times in, in the euro-dollar market, to be sure. And the other similarity between the poker and the trading was it's all about playing a game. You know, and you're right, you have to manage your risk because the risk could, the numbers could be real. But really, the focus was on hitting singles and not trying to hit home runs and to, to manage your risk and keep it low and play the game within those parameters. Without a doubt, that was like the one thing my dad's always driven in my head. It was never about here's how we're going to make money. It was it, it's risk management. That was all he ever said. Even when I was on the headset with him and I was just hedging his position, I all I'd hear the whole time, anytime an, an order came up was, well, what's my risk? What's my risk? What's my risk? That was that constant thing, ground just driven into my head that we never even thought about. Making money wasn't the thought. It was, well, what's the risk? And if the risk is reasonable, then we can execute. Yeah, I think your dad did a better job managing risk than I did. <laughs> I, I had to do the Baird bail a few times. The Baird bail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is that coin down in the euro dollar pit? <laughs> I don't know if people realized when I was bailing or when I wasn't. Nobody knew, <laughs> but I knew. And there's times when you just got to say, "Hey, get me out." And yeah. uh, there's no nothing wrong with that. Uh, I used to have a story of when people would ask me, "What what is it like trading in the pits?" And I always used to say, "It's the story of the little bird who was flying south." And this bird got a kind of a late start. It was a wonderful late summer and enjoying the north. Starts flying south and gets caught in a snowstorm. And all of a sudden his wings start freezing up and he can't fly any longer. And he crashes in a cow field. And he's cold. He's hungry. He's sure he's going to die. When along comes a cow and drops a cow dung on him. Well, the cow dung melts all the snow off his wings. And in the cow dung, he finds some corn. So he's now he's eats the corn and he's warm and he's well fed. He's so happy, he stands up on the pile of cow dung and starts singing a song. When along comes the barnyard cat and eats him. Now, there's three morals to the story. Those that shit on you aren't necessarily your enemies. Those that take you out of a pile of shit aren't necessarily your friends. And if you're warm and well fed, don't stand up and sing about it. <laughs> And well, that's how I viewed the pits oftentimes uh, of what happened on there. That hits the nail on the head. <laughs> I mean, that is uh, probably the best explanation of, I think, just trading in general. <laughs> that is trading in general, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry, threw it for a loop there, huh? <laughs> that was perfect. I'm I'm already trying to like replay it in my head so I can go tell people this afternoon when I'm in a meeting with them. Um, when you left poker and you got back to trading, um, yeah. obviously, if you're taking a decent amount of time away, like you said, you know, strategies change and things adjust. Where'd you go from there? Well, yeah, with trading the stocks, it's not so much, I, I wasn't doing any spreading or uh, it was just buying or selling. And I think it's just, a lot of it is just being, when you're in rhythm with the market, as opposed to being out of rhythm. I mean, you see all these times, some of these big hedge fund guys have big years and then you never hear from them again. Well, they were in tune with what was going on. And I, I just felt what happened in 08 and 09, I don't know if I was in tune or just said, uh, Obama's not a socialist. He understood, the one thing I liked about Obama, he understood to bring the co country back, he needed corporations. All right, we needed the economy. If you wanted to spend money to help people, you had to first make it. And everybody else was saying, oh no, we're gonna become socialist. I said, no, this guy's a capitalist. And I bought and I bought and I bought and and just roll that out. And speaking of 08, how did the comparison between 08 and 2020? Obviously this was 2020 was a global pandemic of unknown proportions. I mean, we didn't know what a virus could do where oh wait, we had this idea, okay, it's you know, we bursted a bubble. Mm -hmm. Um how do you, you were you able to look at this year in 2020 which is just I don't even know what to call 2020 at this point. I think 2020 is an adjective of, in and of itself um, to describe 2020. Um, but would you look at 2020 and 08, the crash is kind of similar or from a trading perspective, investment perspective? Uh, you know what? I just don't even think back to 08. I, I okay. try and view everything in its own context. Clearly, something was going on in April and May. When we were bouncing back as things got worse, uh, I was definitely a seller during that period and then turned around and said, okay, wait, there, what's going on here? And then I had to switch to a buyer. Uh, kind of muddled through the last few months. Then November, I feel there was one consistent pattern. Well, what I saw back in 16 is we had the big rally after the election. And I think the new media is so negative that selling politics negativity sells much better than positivity and it, it affects the markets. And I, I think both November of 16 and this year, we saw a big relief rally that, hey, the world's not going to end. All right. The United States is not going to end. We're here. And so now we bounce back. We're at 30,000. The president still doesn't believe the election. We're in the middle of a pandemic and we're at all time highs. Um, <laughs> the It's relentless. It, well, and, and so my initial instinct is I want to sell. You got to sell. Well, all right. That doesn't make sense. Why is it at all time highs? The smart money is buying right here. I don't know why, but it's not time to fade it. Uh, I don't know how much you want to be on board, but the market is really solid right here for some reason that is bigger and smarter than me. It's that mentality. Like it just when the market's making all time highs, historically, everyone's thought is, well, everything must be great because we're at all-time highs. And 
I, I still see pictures floating around of, you know, Dow 15,000 hats, Dow 20,000 hats, Dow 10,000 hats. Um, I see these pictures all over the place. I'm waiting to see a Dow 30,000 hat. But all those points, everything just looked great. Whereas right now, we don't even know what I mean, you said. If we don't even, the outcome of the election, people still refuse to believe. Um, there's. But I think your most important point there is there's no Dow 30,000 hats. It's probably bullish, not bearish. Right. And, and my instinct here is to be bearish. And I'm saying, no, you better not be because it's it's too easy. At it's what too, point? It's too easy. At what point can you commit to being bearish? Uh, What's, what does it take to get that? Is it more media, more news saying bad things are coming? It's what definitely can't... not. It, the more the news says bad things are coming, the more bullish I'd be. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the headlines, you got to fade the headlines. I, I, I'm just, uh, I'm not sure what that catalyst is going to be that's going to turn things. Uh, at some point, stocks are about a return of money and making money, and what you pay matters. But who knows? Uh, there was also another old rule from of stocks is that it's very hard for a stock to go from fair value to twice its value. But once it's broken out of that twice fair value, it can go anywhere. Like Tesla. Yes. Well, yes. Is it fair value or not? I think a lot of people have argued that, you know, when it was around 700 to 1,000 pre-split, I guess that would be, what, 150 to 200 today was probably fair value. It's more than doubled from there and now it's it's up in an area where it can go anywhere and you you cannot pick a top in in that situation where you can pick a top you lose money (laughs) if you like money you can't pick a top right that's a constant thing we we try and tell our traders all the time just don't pick tops i mean it's never going to be beneficial for you no and I, i would say the one thing that's way different today than 20 25 years ago was the market's I think they're driven a lot by the computers. They seem to go a lot further than you'd expect. They move further and faster. And so you you have to be patient. And what do you think that is between now and when it was down on the floor? Obviously, it was on the floor. It was a small group of people, whereas now it's – I mean, accessibility is for every single person in the world has access to this. Well, I think that's – and the computers, I, I don't – you know what? I don't try and figure out why it is. I just try and accept what it is and try and adapt myself to the new norm. And so when I see stuff get cheap or expensive, I say, okay, start watching it. Maybe put on a very little position so now you're engaged uh, and then see where it goes. You know, track it and try and understand. But it's, it's, it's a moving target. It's, it's what makes the market so awesome. Well, that's, the, that's what's exciting about it is the kind of – being able to find that stuff. Are you looking at ever, thousands of stocks? Do you have a small group that you keep a close eye on? Is it like each week it's, okay, Let's. these are the ones that I'm going to watch this week and I'm not going to deviate from that? Or is it really anything that pops up that looks interesting? Uh, yes to all the above. I, <laughs> uh, I'm focused. I try and stay under 50 that I might have a position in, but I'm constantly, I still watch the ticker tape. Uh, I don't know if anybody else does. It's kind of an old habit, but I love watching the tape and 
I'll get new ideas from the tape. I'll get ideas from reading. So it, it, it'll depend. Uh, I'm flexible. Stuff I traded yesterday, I might never trade again. And stuff I'll trade tomorrow, I never would have guessed I, I'd trade. It's uh, where, where I see a discrepancy in what my little brain thinks between current price and fair value. Okay. And that's what you focus on, where it is now, where you think fair value is and trade kind of to that. Correct. Yes. Are you in this stuff long-term, quick ins, quick outs, couple days, couple weeks, couple years? Well, I used to, being a spreader back in the old days, if I bought a contract and didn't spread it and made a tick, scalped it for a tick, I left the pit. I was done. <laughs> that was not my MO. If I didn't was buying or selling something to make a tick on it, that was going to be a losing day. I had no feel. I had no game plan. I, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. So I, I would say my stuff is, is it longer than a day or two? Yes. Does that mean, do I keep it for two weeks? Uh, two weeks to a month. Sometimes other stuff I like, and I'll keep trying to keep it a year to get the capital gains break. But most of the stuff somewhere between two weeks and three months. Okay. You said something that I want every one of my list, our viewers out there to hear if you came in and you were got, going to just take a tick, it wasn't worth it, and you're going to go home. And I think a lot of a lot of our listeners, are retail traders, a lot are new get coming into this, and that scalping mentality is the first thing that pops in their head. If it moves a tick, I can make twenty bucks or ten bucks or a hundred bucks or whatever contract size they're trading, and that looks great. But how many times are you going to do that before you get washed out, destroyed, run over? And this mentality of scalping, especially this day and age with the computers, the systems out there, people are designed, computers are designed to scalp where humans just can't keep up with it like they could. So I really want everyone to hear that one tick is not enough. You've got to be in this a little bit longer. Yes. The, the scalping game, I mean, uh, yeah, for me, I'd make a tick on those days and just leave because I didn't know what I was doing. There were other guys back in the day, if they made $1,000, they're going to play golf that day and go <laughs> celebrate. Well, where are they all today? That they, It's just, yes, so you got lucky. on that. You got that little movement. That's, that's not a strategy, and that's, that's no longevity in this game. You're, you're going to get taken out for sure. My dad always told me he was one of the guys that he was there in, on, in the pit at 7 a.m., and he left at about 2.30 after close. Monday through Friday, five days a week, unless he was traveling. And you you knew the guys that the second they had a decent morning, they were in the car going to the golf course. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you the places that they're in now versus the guys that sat there for every hour, five days a week, and they're living completely different lives. Even though you're not trading that entire time, you're there for opportunity when it presents. You're there for opportunity and you're engaged in the market. All right. You can have charts and stuff and try and look, but that's not the feel of being there watching it constantly, seeing each tick, feeling it, especially when you've got a position on. You feel every little movement <laughs> for you better sure or do. for worse. <laughs> that's why you don't look at investments. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that that would be my next question for you, because the second you have a position on, you're emotionally attached. Are you watch? Because this is a question I get asked from our, our traders all the time, and I don't know what to say sometimes. I mean, I, I'll put on, I'll put on Netflix or something just to have a distraction 
So I am not watching an active position I'm in because every tick you feel, um, do you, I mean, obviously you've been around this a little longer than I have. Um, are you comfortable sitting there watching it, knowing where it's going to go? Or do you have to create that distraction? I definitely create the distraction that I, I, I'm around every morning from 8.30 till 9.30 or 10. And I want to see what the market does from 2 to 3. But most days I try and occupy myself doing something else or doing something else for an hour, checking back, doing something else. That, that's one of the big changes I would say today versus in the pits. Uh, 20, 30 years ago it was all about getting volume when you're in the pit. Could, could you get getting the trade was a big deal. Well, if the computers and these markets so tight, it's it's how much do you want? And you got to say, what what's a, what what amount do I want of this right now? And then I want to see if it moves my way or against me. Do I want to average in higher or lower? Let, let the market move a little bit and, and see where we're comfortable at. Uh, because you can get all you want of everything. It's it's awesome. It's uh, it's awesome. But it's a whole different strategy. I think that's the biggest reason so many traders struggled going from the pits where it's all about getting the volume to online where it's all about discipline and patience and waiting for it to get to seeing good setups. I think that makes complete sense because it's, I mean, that was what, when I first started looking into this industry when I was in high school and I started, okay, now it's time to ask questions, time, time to learn. And I'll never forget asking my dad one day, I was down on the floor in the middle of summer running for him. And I go, what, how do you know which trade to take? He goes, he just looked at me and goes, if someone comes in with something, you take it and then you find a way to make money with it. And I thought that was really interesting. And now it's the polar opposite of that. You can click as you can click that mouse as many times as you want. You can get as much as you want, but what are you going to do with it? Once you get it, if it goes against you, well, at what point are you going to get out? And you have to have that plan going into it, and it's completely changed. Yes, yes. Uh, and I, I think the other thing to remember, for me, and the reason I was always a spreader or a buying option, shorting stock, doing as the moment I bought or sold something, I did something on the other side, and I still kind of do that in the market, is that you're not trading against a computer. There's another person on the other side, and the odds are they know more about the situation than you do. That if somebody is given, if I'm able to buy something, well, there's somebody who wants to sm- sell it that's probably smarter than me. And if I want to sell something, there's probably somebody who wants to buy it who's smarter than me and knows more than me. So I slow down and I average a price in or or do something against it. So I'm doing trying to figure out, all right, be right on one side for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got a last couple questions for you. Number one. Yeah. You before we clicked in, you said I was under the impression you were just kind of checking it out, little here, little there, holding on to some positions, kind of like a retired trader does. Uh, or when I look at my dad, he's a retired trader who just dabbles. You said you're obviously doing more than that. Do you see an endpoint, or is it just something that uh, forever you're going to be active? Oh, I, I, you know, I, I don't think that far out. Uh, when I'm in, if I stay in sync with the market, I'll, I'll hang around. And when it goes bad, I'll go play poker. And if there's another opportunity, I, I've retired more times than Carter's made pills. <laughs> uh, so we'll see. We'll see. I, 
I enjoy it. Like I said, to me, it's it's not about money. It's about playing the game to the best of my ability. It's the score. The only difference between trading and a football game is at the end of the game, the scores in dollars instead of on a scoreboard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's still fun. As long as it's fun, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people that listen to this, they're trying to make trading a profession. You've done it for 38 years. So you've obviously got a little idea of how to do this professionally and make a living out of this. What's some advice you have for someone new getting into this that wants to see that longevity in the industry? I guess I'd go back to the number one thing is it's a game Mm -hmm. and you got to love the game. And if you're in it for money, what other businesses can you be real successful because you're there for the money? You're not. I mean, mean, imagine a movie producer or something or an actor for the money. It's the love of what they're doing. And I think that's that's trading that you just have to you have to enjoy it. Otherwise, you're better off doing something else. I mean, that's the key is I the pits. Well, we opened at 720 and you'd be downtown and half an hour, an hour before. I never set an alarm clock in my life. Well, that's not true. <laughs> after school, after school. <laughs> right. But for trading, I was always up, ready to go, and just fired up for every day and look forward to it because this is what I wanted to do. And I think that's the whole key, that if you're here because, well, I see these guys making all this money, I want to make money. It's going to suck. Right, because you're paying you're attention fail. to the dollars. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. And that's, you know, the poker players will talk – talk all about that all the time because it's more right there when they get the bad beat, all right? And they and they lose, and well, did they make the right decision? And that separates the top poker players and the, the pro poker players from the average poker player. It looks They look at the results, the average person, not the process. And the same thing with trading. It's all about the process and enjoying the process. And if you're good at that, you'll make money. Eventually, it'll come. I love I love the alarm clock. That's pretty cool. So anyone listening, if you can get up without setting an alarm, you're going to be a good trader. No, no, no. no. But that's pretty cool. Yes, it's been awesome. Been very fortunate to to fall into trading totally by accident 38 years ago and and loving every minute of it. Well, no, I don't love losing money and I've done a lot of that. (laughs) As I often say, there's a lot of people that have made a lot more money than I have but very few have lost as much. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Mr. Barrett I, or Greg, I cannot thank you <laughs> enough for sitting down with me. I uh, really appreciate this. Everybody else, uh, Jack and I will see you after this weird noise. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. Oh, I did it again. Presented by Top Step. There it com. is. Yeah. (laughs) I hope everyone's getting ready for a great holiday season, uh, no matter what you're celebrating or where or how. Well, actually, uh, don't, you know, don't do it if your how is, uh, I don't know, 1,200 people indoors somewhere. Don't do that. But, (laughs) you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel now. But besides that, hope you get a chance to uh, spend some time with some uh, friends and family, take a little time off the trading. It's a good way to recuperate. Absolutely. And uh, coming into the new year, once we get into the new year, look for uh, new and exciting um, Limit Up podcasts to be uh, coming at you. I'm excited about what we've got coming forward. Oh, yeah. We're going to be switching things up. We have a couple of best of episodes coming now, but in the new year, um, 
you know, we're going to change things up a little bit and change can be scary, but you know, listen, listener, <laughs> change, change is ultimately good. I think. I think so, so. Yeah. So we look forward to that and we'll catch you on the other side of the year. Uh, to hell with 2020. We'll see you in 2021. Namaste and trade well. The Limit Up Podcast is produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.